Welcome to the Chapman CG podcast series, inspiring and informative conversations with top HR leaders from around the world. Hi, everybody. This is Alan Mate, uh, Managing Director of Chapman CG. I'm here with Kurt Landon, uh, CEO of HR consulting firm Inspira. 2020, of course, brought to the surface many key people and culture challenges that both business and HR leaders need to address in order to pave the way for greater levels of engagement and inclusiveness in the workforce. Um, so I'm here with Kurt to discuss some of those challenges and solutions through the lens of diversity and inclusion. Now, Kurt brings a wealth of international experience to bear, having worked in significant global HR leadership roles with highly reputable companies such as Accenture, Pfizer, J&J, Expedia and Biogen. And Kurt was the CHRO of Pinterest before setting up his own business. You may recall we recently did a, a podcast and a People Lab series with Kurt, and we're uh, very lucky to have him back joining us. Kurt, welcome. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be with you today. Kurt, help us understand where your passion for driving greater equality, diversity and inclusiveness comes from. Oh, Alan, I think uh, a lot of it comes from my own journey as a human being. I grew up in in the U.S. in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, because of, I believe, a lot of the multicultural and global nature of the population in Washington with lots of diplomats and people from around the world. Uh, I always grew up in environments that were extremely diverse, um, comprised of a lot of people of various underrepresented populations and backgrounds. But closer to home for me, I had some interesting experiences that uh, really brought the concept of difference to the forefront for me on a daily basis. Um, I grew up as Jewish and, and very religiously observant, uh, you know, Jewish in an environment and a neighborhood and schools where often I was one of the only uh, people who practiced that religion and people didn't understand some of the customs and traditions that, uh, that my family practiced. So that felt different from an early age. And Shortly thereafter, I began to come to terms with the fact that I was gay. And so based on my own sexual orientation, growing up again in an environment where even in my own family, I had five brothers who were not gay. Um, I experienced a strong sense of self and feeling very different, both at home uh, and at school. And lastly, I, I think fortunately, I grew up also in a family where my parents raised us to really be citizens of the world, to go out and embrace difference, cultural differences, geographic differences, and to really try and make friends with and uh, surround ourselves with people from all different walks of life, socioeconomically, culturally, etc. And so our friend groups were always extremely diverse. And so I really came into the working world many years later, uh, just taking that as table stakes and, and somewhat for granted, even though now I realize that was a bit different um, from other people's experience. Yeah, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And I mean, great to have that sort of support network and that you drive from, from your sort of parents as well to, to sort of instill that in you. I'm sure that's wonderful. I mean, we, we've seen, of course, over the last several months, an increased amount of focus, rightly so, on... DEI across organizations, you know, lots of hiring and a focus on diverse talent. We're seeing a lot of organizations hire figurehead, you know, chief diversity officers, those with 
deep specialist experience in the space, while other companies seem to be opting for a different route, maybe combining DEI role with talent or driving accountability for success for DNI programs through HR generalists or HR business partners. Curious to see if you're seeing the same. Um, do you have a view on what might be driving these different approaches? Yes, uh, I'm observing the same pattern in the market as well. And I think we are seeing an unprecedented number of organizations identify and hire and onboard a leader in the diversity, inclusion, and belonging space. So I'm seeing the same thing. Um, I'm not convinced that it's the right choice for every organization. And I think the answer is a more complicated one, depending on what's best for, for that organization, what their issues and opportunities are, and how the rest of the team is comprised as well. In some cases, it can absolutely be the right thing in the right time. Um, I recall back when I was at Biogen around 2013, and we had Javier Barrientos, who was our chief diversity officer, and it was the right time and made a lot of sense. And Javier had a team under him, um, and it really was, was a very good decision that proved to be very fruitful. But that was based on the fact that the company had been around for decades, had a, a well-established uh, human resources function, and a lot of work had been done to really pave the way for uh, a role like that to, to be put in place. Where I see it sometimes be uh, kind of show up as a little bit less productive is if a, a company is not really doing very much in this space, and they're looking to make one big hire almost as a pioneer of sorts in that space. Think of it as sending uh, a woman or man to the, the moon, and that person is going to land on the moon by themselves and be expected to represent all of Earth <laughs> to that entity in the solar system. Um, that can be uh, counterproductive while that individual is trying to instill belonging and difference and inclusion into the organization, she or he himself can be quite marginalized and excluded and on a bit of an island or planet, if you will. And so um, I think that this being the magic silver bullet action, you know, hire a really compelling diversity leader um, who brings diversity herself or himself to the table, and that's going to solve all problems. I, I don't see that working the majority of the time in the absence of other things that need to be in place. We see two other variations of this. So uh, I see some of our clients will hire a diversity person, um, and this is maybe not a senior leader, but it's someone who's had some diversity experience or a lot of passion for diversity. And it's part of another role. So it's a hybrid role, maybe combined with something else in the HR space. So maybe it's a director of talent management who is also going to look after uh, inclusion and diversity. And that can be fine. Um, there can be limitations with this because whatever subfunction in HR the position is combined with will often get the lion's share of that person's focus when it comes to diversity and inclusion, in this case, talent management. But what about sort of external talent uh, management, such as diversity recruiting or uh, other aspects of the HR ecosystem, like employee relations uh, or total rewards that maybe aren't as closely related to talent management. Those can often be neglected. And so, and then if you also have someone who is maybe very experienced in diversity and inclusion, they're not necessarily a senior leader, but it's all they've done, they may not fully understand how 
diversity and inclusion needs to really weave through all aspects of the people, talent, and HR ecosystem. This is probably the single biggest mistake we see regardless of how it's solved for. If this person comes in and manages or works in the function and it's isolated and disconnected from everything else in the employee employee experience, it doesn't work. In fact, we're seeing sadly a lot of boutique HR consulting firms that have a sole focus on diversity and inclusion not be successful even during these times where everything is about diversity and inclusion. And one of the reasons is because they, they in some cases, are struggling with those linkages to every other aspect of HR. And so it's part of why we're doing more and more work in this space, because when it comes to the work we do in diversity and inclusion, we really understand that it needs to be integrated and linked to every aspect of the people experience in the company. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And sort of speaking with, with the HR community as well. Yeah, I think their sort of sense is very much the same. You know, getting those connectivities and those sponsorships across the companies are so important in order to sort of have the sort of program stick and, and thrive right? and, and sort of gradually change the culture over a period of time that way. If companies are, are not going out and finding a, uh, a chief diversity officer or diversity specialist, they, maybe they don't have anybody in-house with that skill set, where else in the HR organization or in other parts of the business could companies look for, for such skill sets? Or related skill sets? Sure. I, I think there, there are a couple things that come to mind. One is uh, certainly looking at individuals in the organization at a variety of levels, locations, and functions, and forming somewhat of a diversity council or task force. And this, I think, uh, has its place and can be beneficial. And there's some important watchouts with this. Um, where it has its place is it can be a great opportunity to hear from employees who uh, have different backgrounds and bring difference to the table and to make sure that the flow of communication is clear and authentic from those individuals in particular, um, so that you really understand what their daily experience is like in the organization. This may not always be a decision-making body. It may not be you know, an organization that's going to uh, have decision rights around organization structure or talent management or allocation of rewards or things like that. But their perspective can be helpful to know and to be aware of, especially if it comes to diversity and inclusion programming, such as speaker series or the formation of employee resource groups or things like that. I recently had a very compelling conversation with a tech company that's a client of ours. Um, and they were really struggling with um, how to and when form an employee resource group for uh, their company, specifically for LGBTQ uh, employees, and people were not self-disclosing their sexual orientation in the employee survey or at the point of hire, so they were really struggling with how to hear the voice of these individuals, and so we suggested forming a task force or council like this with a seat or two on it, uh, representing the LGBTQ employee population. And through that mechanism, they were able to real-time, almost focus group style, ask questions and get the perspective of what would meet the needs of that uh, particular employee sub-segment um, best. 
So I think that's certainly one aspect. Um, there is a watch out with this, which is going back to employees who are, let's say, people of color. And every time there's something that comes up in the company related to people of color, such as the you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and racism, anti-racism topic, many companies were experiencing that they may have two or three Black employees in their small organization. And every meeting, every few days, the company was going back to those same two or three employees and saying, you know, well, how about you share your perspective on this? And there was something about that that left some of those employees feeling somewhat tokenized. Like, you know, you didn't used to pay so much attention to me before. Now that this topic is coming up, you're asking me my opinion every day. And so it has to be done in the right way. And that's time for a longer conversation. But we have been giving a lot of advice and guidance to our clients on how to navigate that. And the sweet spot is you don't want these employees to feel tokenized yet they do have a unique perspective that can and should be heard. And so there's a way to broach that conversation. And as always, good intentions uh, go a long way. And so if the intention is not to tokenize and it's truly to be inclusive, uh, usually that'll come through in the way you approach those individuals. And then I would say that, you know, the other one, although it may sound self-serving, it's not my intention, is I think considering engaging external expertise through a firm like ours to help bridge the gap from a talent perspective in terms of, you know, uh, making sure that the organization is hearing the full range of possibilities of what's happening out there in the market. You know, what we're experiencing now, because we have almost 50 clients and we have about, you know, 20 different diversity and inclusion engagements going on, we're experimenting. It's almost like a real-time DNI laboratory across a lot of hyper-growth and established companies. And so ideas that a company may be wrestling with, like, does it work to have a head of diversity and inclusion be someone who's not in HR as a side hat that they wear in addition to, let's say, scientific or commercial responsibilities? Well, we have a point of view on that because we've experimented with it seven, eight, nine, ten times. And so we have enough data to know not just simply whether it works or not, but here is the way to make it work if that's something that you're really inclined to do. Here are some of the watch outs. So I think engaging external expertise like Inspira can be helpful even in determining what the structure and organization design approach should be for the diversity function for your company. Thank you for sharing. And I think it's important to, to have that level of expertise, certainly. And, and with, with companies that you've been working with and conversations you've had and of course your breadth of, of an HR network globally what are some of the most effective DEI programs you've come across and I guess why do you think they've been so successful well you know I think that first I would just preface it by saying you know I think it's crucial to recognize that no matter how great or cutting edge training is or something like that. It's very rarely the only solution and probably shouldn't be. So some combination of programming makes sense. So there are a few things though with that said that come to mind. Um, and I think that they fall into one of two categories. Either they are really disruptive and bold and kind of challenge the way that people think. And I'll give you an example of that in a moment, or it's something where it's extremely professionally intimate and almost feels a little bit, you know, very personal in nature um, to kind of break through at a deeper level. And I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples of that. So, so on the former, you know, one of the programs that comes to mind was the cutting edge work that we did at Biogen back uh, between 2013 and 2016 
and uh, our head of diversity, inclusion, and belonging at Inspira, as well as our associate director um, of DINB and Inspira both came from that team at Biogen and were part of pace-setting novel pioneering work called uh, Raising the Bar. And this was a first of its type program to really get companies to realize that they needed more gender diversity on their boards. And, and essentially, you know, we affectionately refer to the program as women on boards. And so uh, they went out to uh, a lot of these other life sciences and biopharma companies in the area. And there were educational sessions to try and explain to them the value proposition behind why uh, more diversity on boards makes sense and also highlight what the issue is, what the opportunity is, um, you know, things, you know, such as the, you know, the fact that, you know, less than 1% of Fortune 500 CEOs are Black, 25% of female CEOs are in the S&P 500, 29% of employers have programs focused on the retention of LGBTQ talent. You know, there's still really problematic statistics out there that underscore the importance for more representation, even in senior entities like boards of directors. And what we find is that by having more diversity on boards, when C-suite positions become open within the company, typically the board will be involved in those selection decisions in one way, shape, or another. And if that board is very homogeneous and if they lack, let's say, gender diversity or they don't have people of color, when candidates come through the pipeline who are alarmingly lacking from a difference um, perspective, one that's not always known and flagged or a concern, or conversely, if most candidates come along and they don't see anyone like themselves in a C-suite or on the board, they may run for the hills and go the other way. And so it really starts with the top. And when we say top, not just the CEO, but top is in uh, chairman of the board and the board. And that's part of why now you're seeing laws like the new law in California mandating gender diversity on boards. And we believe that the work that we did at Biogen years ago really informed a lot of this focus now on diversity because it was so cutting edge. So that's an example of a program that's very disruptive and really kind of breaks through a lot of barriers and I think is important. But then there's some things really quickly that, you know, I think can be done that are very professionally intimate. And an example is, you know, we, we have an offering now for people manager coaching. And this is kind of like executive coaching, but down in the trenches with first time and frontline people managers. And it's not about teaching them to be or helping them discover what kind of big leader do I want to be in my career. It's more tactical. It's how do I have uh, effective one-on-ones with my employees? How do I give someone performance feedback? How do I exit someone from the organization? How do I close a deal when I'm trying to attract talent to the organization? And what we're realizing is these managers who are really trying to figure out how to be good people managers are struggling on this topic of diversity, inclusion, and belonging because it's complicated. And what is it like to frontline manage someone who's very different from you are either personality wise, socioeconomically, color, sexual orientation, gender. And so through this people manager coaching offering, we have one-on-one and small group coaching. We can customize that work so that the people manager coach that we match up with someone can really help them figure out how to do this. And what we're seeing happen is 
it's not just raising the awareness level, which is what you mostly get out of training and learning sessions, but it's actually changing behavior and mindsets on the parts of these managers. And that sticks, that's durable because it's at the behavioral level. And so I think it's this combination of highly disruptive programming with very professional, intimate interventions like manager coaching. Thank you. I mean, that's a wealth of wealth of information there, and, and yeah, that's some great takeaways. Okay, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, really great. So, so looking at um, the future, I guess where we go from here. What would you like to see as a next step in the evolution of DEI programs and initiatives? Right. Well, I think a few things. One, there certainly are organizations that need to catch up. They have rightly or wrongly deprioritized anything in this space seeing it more as a luxury item and something to come back to later. And I think when the racism, anti-racism, police brutality, and Black Lives Matter situation occurred, a lot of these organizations found themselves very flat-footed, scrambling, trying to figure out how to show up well in that space. And the decisions that they made about deprioritizing the focus in that area really became quite evident. And so I think most of them would self-identify that, self-disclose that they regret their previous handling of that. So I think if there are companies that still haven't kind of shifted into a higher gear to prioritize work in this space, it's time, it's, it's more than time. And so at a minimum, reaching out to an organization like Inspira, just to have a conversation about what can we do to take a step forward and make up a bit for lost time. Um, and certainly we're not the only option, but, but we're here to help. So I think that that would be one thing that I would certainly hope to see. I think companies that have been doing the right thing for some time and had success in what they've been doing, it's to resist the temptation knowingly or unknowingly to deaccelerate in this space and to focus on other things. I think that rather I would encourage them to build on their strong momentum and progress and now push themselves to, to go further, to, to explore what's next. You know, when we do uh, diversity, inclusion, and belonging work with clients, we typically help them develop an overarching strategy for their DNI work, but we also help them come up with a multi-year roadmap, a bit of a maturity model. And so the advice would be keep going, push yourself to move into the next phases of that multi-year roadmap or maturity model. Don't just stagnate because this topic is far from going away anytime soon. We should expect there will be more and more world events, social issues, political issues, societal issues that will directly continue to inform what the expectations are or the impact is on employers and employees. Specifically in the DNI space, I think you know there are a couple of areas that I really see as um, emerging as newer areas of focus, although they're not really new, they're, they're coming more to the forefront. One is anything around mental health and wellness. I think we're seeing one of the positive things that's come from the pandemic is a bit of destigmatizing of mental health issues. I think we've been talking a lot more about it. People are a lot more aware of the importance of mental health and wellness because this has been so challenging on people and their families um, in the mental, from a mental health and wellness perspective. But what's happening is companies, again, are finding themselves flat-footed here because they have been caught up in the stigma of it or they've seen this as a luxury item. 
And so we have really been impressed with some other companies that we're interested in collaborating with, like Modern Health, who have really taken very innovative approaches to making sure that mental health uh, and wellness is accessible to all people, real-time leveraging remote technology, and it's not something to be caught up in from a stigma perspective. So I think that's all certainly one, Alan. I think neurodiversity is an increasingly important topic, and it's an exciting one. You know, what we're talking about here are things like individuals who have Asperger's and autism and are at various places on this uh, neurodiversity spectrum. And I recall back from my uh, early career days at Accenture, very early discussions about the unique gifts that uh, individuals with Asperger's and autism have and, and the coupling of that with very, very deep cognitive uh, abilities and aptitude technologically with uh, software development and other technical skills. And when I led HR and tech, for example, at Pinterest, we were working on starting a program to really bring students with autism and Asperger's into the workforce to leverage their unique skills and also meet unmet needs from a talent perspective because there's a shortage of talent in the software development space, in the engineering space. And so I think more companies will start to leverage that longstanding legacy that Accenture pioneered with, but bring that to the forefront in startups and scrap companies today, we're seeing more and more children diagnosed with Asperger's and autism, not less. And I think that could be an incredible win-win for those kids, their families, and these employers who are looking for talent. Absolutely. I mean, and that is a wonderful area to explore as well. I'd like to pick up another conversation with you, Carl, on, on that. Um, sure. And more broadly, I think, on the mental health and wellness piece as well, because I think that's, again, as you said, that's something that's really coming to the fore now, the sort of taboo around it is you know thankfully fallen away or falling away and we're getting much needed sort of a spotlight on on it for sure Kel, i can't thank you enough for again for for the time today and you know, sharing the experience you have and i would you know, actively encourage um, anyone listening to this that that certainly would like to sort of have a, some more time with you i know you're a very very busy guy but uh, to actively sort of you know follow reach out connect with kurt on this because it's uh, he certainly comes with it from a very um, interesting perspective, a personal perspective, and has done a lot of great work in this space. So, um, thank you, Kurt. Uh, thank you, Alan, for having me, and we're happy to help uh, with anyone who'd like to speak further. Um, we have a great website. We have a lot of resources on there that are free tools, uh, even a whole resource center in the diversity, inclusion, and belonging space, and that that can be found at inspirehr.com. So, thank you again, Alan, for having me. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Wonderful. Thank you, Kurt, and uh, all the best. Um, look forward to uh, keeping in touch. Okay. Thank you, Al. Thank you. For more excellent conversations from Chapman CG, subscribe to our podcast series or check us out at chapmancg.com.